Football's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, football's coming home. 1966 was a great year for me. England was world champion. Hello and welcome to 52 Years A World Cup Podcast. I'm Richard Carey. This is episode 10, which will be recapping the quarter final matches between Sweden and England, Croatia and Russia, Uruguay and France, and Brazil and Belgium. It's been a very exciting couple of days here in the United Kingdom, particularly in England, based on what's happened. It's really weird, and I'll talk about this a little bit later. It just feels really weird, but something's very different about this World Cup. You definitely, there's a sense in the air that something's very different, and maybe that means something special is going to happen in about a week's time. Well, let's kick ourselves off with the World Cup news. World Cup news. And today's top story, it's coming home. It's coming home, it's coming, football's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, football's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, football's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, football's coming home. And that was your World Cup news. Uh, Let's look at the classified results. Uruguay nil, France two, Brazil one, Belgium two, Sweden nil, England two, Russia two, Croatia two after extra time, Croatia won four three on penalties. Well, we have to start with that game, Sweden versus England, and let's have a look at the stats. Possession, Sweden 42%, England 58%. Shots, Sweden 6, England 12. And shots on target, Sweden 3, England only the 2. On the 30th minute, Harry Maguire headed uh, the ball in from an Ashley Young corner and made it 1-0 to England. Then on the 58th minute, Deli Alley headed in Jesse Lingard's cross at the far post to make it 2-0. So what about that? England are through to their first World Cup semi-final since 1990. I was two years old the last time England were in a World Cup semi-final and I remember nothing about it. I vaguely remember a bit about uh, Euro 96 where we got to the semi-finals. I mainly remember Gazza tying his shoe in that game. I don't really remember a lot about the uh, the rest of it. I know there was penalties it and stuff It just feels like really um, weird. Like, this tournament, like, it felt too easy, that game. Like, it's an England quarter-final. This is supposed to be a struggle. This is supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to really just about get through or or whatever it doesn't it just felt really comfortable it was a really comfortable 2-0 victory against a Sweden side that just wasn't as good as England and that was it it just didn't really feel like a quarterfinal of a World Cup but it was and obviously people are going mad and people are thinking you know 
we're going to win the World Cup. There was actually an incident in Ikea where someone, some England fans had broke into Ikea and started actually wrecking the place a bit and then was obviously celebrating. Now, I don't mind people celebrating, but I don't think that's really on, you know, to go into a store. That, I know it's Swedish by name, but is it really people who work there Swedish? You know, in vandalising other people's property, I don't think it's on whatever. I remember I saw a guy in the town centre who had, you know, he was, he was driving a Mini. He had four little uh, England flags on his car and a big England flag on the top. And he had the windows open and he was blaring out, it's coming home, I think on repeat. And he was just hooting all the time. So that was quite, it was quite a funny thing to see, uh, celebration-wise. Um, yeah, I thought it was a very sort of astute performance by England. They did seem the better team. There was obviously, again, we sort of got the worry about too, many, too much reliance on set pieces. But, you know, Greece, I think, won Euro 2004 basically on set pieces. So... It's possible to do that. So if it works, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it works, it's great. Uh, obviously, Deli Ali getting the goal—that was a good confidence booster for him. Raheem Sterling has got a lot of criticism in the tournament. He did have, a, you know, he has a very good, you know. I guess people are saying, you know, his pace actually creates op- opportunities and openings for England. But I feel he's way too wasteful, and I think they actually played him a little further forward in this game, maybe as a sort of sense of trying to give him the confidence to actually go and score. He missed a few sitters, really. Um, so that was disappointing, especially one where he could have gone around the keeper and just tapped it in, and he didn't. And that was really that was a really disappointing one from Sterling. But I don't think they're going to drop him, because I think Southgate is very much, um, you know, he's, he very much believes in the system and the team that he's playing. And if it's winning, you can't really criticise it with the results, you know. You can criticise it if England go out. Until that happens, you can't. You can't do anything about it. It, it. It's just what it is. I think if you're an England fan right now, you need to just enjoy whatever's going to happen next week. England are guaranteed to have two more games of this World Cup, albeit one might be a third, fourth place playoff on Saturday, or it could be the final on Sunday next week. Um, and I think England fans should enjoy it. You know, these, these are kind of once-in-a-lifetime moments, and maybe twice, potentially. For a semi-final, but if we, if England did get the final, that is probably a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I mean, some people will have lived and remembered the uh, '66 final, but they might be like in their 50s or 60s, but or they'd have to be in their 60s or 70s by now. You know, this is seems like uh, the most plausible time that England could at least get to the final, if not win it. I think uh, Jordan Pickford again, you know, had a really good game, uh, made a, some very good saves just like he did against Colombia. He's certainly proving to be the keeper that we hoped Joe Hart would be, but definitely wasn't. And he, I think he is. the. He, if he keeps going like he's going, he'll be the best England keeper since David Seaman. So that's some high praise. It's quite interesting. The centre-backs have been very good defensively and going forward, which and you know, keeping a clean sheet in this game. I think the first, that was the first time England had kept a clean sheet at this World Cup. You know, That's a real confidence booster. Um, Sweden had a few chances, but never really looked like winning it. And it was very, a very, very controlled game for England. And that was the real surprise. You know, you don't see that from an England side. I guess the one thing I will say is what I'm really impressed about for this England side is their fitness. Because how many times have we seen it at a World Cup and we've seen all the excuses that, oh, England are tired from playing the Premier League all season. It's all this... 
stuff about, you know, they're, they're knackered, basically. And they, you get to the quarterfinal and you see them being knackered. And it's, you know, I know it's in Russia, but it's still bloody hot in Russia. So to actually see the players um, having that sense, having that fitness, you know, having played on the Tuesday, then playing on the Saturday afternoon in the boiling heat is really impressive. And that's, for me, that's the biggest thing, I think, about the Singer squad. And probably the good thing, it's they've sort of relied a lot on the sort of youth. Um, actually, that's helping uh, England's cause because they... You know, have they brought in more sort of older players? I think that's probably what, you know, the Hodgson issue was. Relying on those sort of experienced heads, it wasn't doing anything. It is really interesting that the golden generation, you know, the Beckham, Gerrard, Scholes, Lampard, Rooney, Owen, uh, Ferdinand Terry, Cole, Neville, you know, that sort of generation hasn't been able to do this well at a World Cup. And yes, you've got an asterisk by it saying they didn't have this easy sort of road to the semi-finals but even so i'm really impressed by this england team I, I i mean the question is do that are they actually as good as one of the best four teams in the world or is that just a case of how the knockout um system has gone you know that's to be debated uh but this is a fantastic tournament for england and like i say if you're an england fan just enjoy this We'll talk a bit about who, who england are going to face in a minute but uh i think you need to just enjoy the moment and just soak it in and just appreciate this while we have it because it might not happen again for a long time at least I wouldn't suspect so let's see who England will end up facing in the semi-finals uh, for that we have to look at Russia versus Croatia on the 31st minute uh, Cheryshev a wonder strike from him from outside the box made it 1-0 to Russia it was his fourth goal of the tournament then a Mandzukic cross into Kramaric uh, headed it in and he brought it level to make it 1-1 and that's how it ended after 90 minutes it was 1-1 but there was a little bit of drama in extra time on the 100th minute there was a corner to Croatia and a Vida header was stumbled into the net to make it 2-1 and then on the 115th minute a free kick to Russia at the edge of the box was taken by Zagov and it was curled into the head of Fernandez who scored and put it level again to make it 2-2 now this guy Fernandez has a really interesting backstory. Basically, he's Brazilian, but he only got to play for Russia because of a presidential decree from Vladimir Putin himself. So he must have known what he was doing, Putin, because he thought, oh, he'll get this goal. But maybe this doesn't really define Fernandez's role in this game, as we'll get to the penalty shootout. Yes, both these teams had a penalty shootout in the round of 16, and again had a penalty shootout in the quarterfinals. First penalty was taken by Smolov for Russia. He missed it. It was saved by Subasic. It was a terrible penalty chip attempt, really. Brozovic took the next penalty and scored to make it 1-0 to Croatia. Zhagev took the second for Russia and scored to even it up 1-1. Kovacic had a shot to the right, but it was saved by Akinfaev. Uh, Fernandez for Russia, uh, blast the ball wide. It was a horrible penalty. This is what I mean. This probably defines him a bit more than his equaliser, unfortunately, because I've talked this this penalty shootout had some really horrible penalties. I mean, Luka Modric took the next one. Uh, he actually scored to make it 2-1, but it was so close to going out. I think it hit the post. It went just in the inside of the goal. It could have gone anywhere, really. Ignashevich took the next one and evened it up 2-2. Vida uh, put it in for Croatia to make it 3-2. 
Uh, Kuzhaev uh, for Russia scored to make it 3-3. And the final penalty, once again, it came down to Ivan Rakitic, just like it did in their game against Denmark. He put it in the net and it was 4-3. Croatia won 4-3 on penalties. I've got to say, Croatia look incredibly knackered. I mean, for a team that's almost had a week off from the last game, they look absolutely dead. They look kind of dead in the last game, that's the thing. You know, they, they look like a team that's kind of got nothing to give, but somehow are sort of crawling their way on their hands and knees to a World Cup semi-final. Um, I mean, they could have won in extra time, really, uh, but they do, you know, they sort of, that, they shouldn't have given away that free kick. It was always going to be dangerous. Russia, obviously, you've got, you've got to give them credit in this tournament. You know, they've had a very good tournament. I mean, one of their best World Cups in, when in, t- in terms of modern Russia. I mean, you'd have to go back to like, I think you'd have to go back to the 60s, I think, to talk about the sort of Soviet Union team that was actually decent. But, um, for a modern Russian team, this was a fantastic, you know, run. And some people might say, you know, was were they getting favourable decisions? They only really got one, I think, which was the uh, potential penalty against Spain that Spain could have had but didn't have. But I think they've done really well. You know, they, they came out storming that first game to win 5-0. Um, you know, dominated two games where they pretty much dominated and then got themselves through... Obviously, the loss against Uruguay probably was where their momentum sort of fell a bit, but they had a really good defensive performance against Spain. And they did frustrate Croatia a lot in this game, but I, th- I think, um, like I say, I don't think Croatia looked like they were at the races, really. And they, were, they got kind of lucky, to be honest, to get through here. So England will face Croatia on Wednesday night. I would probably put England favourites. I know that's a very sort of uh, thing to say. But England definitely look like the better side at the moment than Croatia. However, I'll put an asterisk. If Croatia actually wake up, get fit again, and can actually play well, then they can beat the England side. So it all depends on what Croatia shows up. If a Croatia that that played Argentina shows up, it could be a Croatia win. If the Croatia that played Denmark and Russia shows up, I would suspect England will win. Unless, of course... A penalty shootout would be very interesting because either Croatia would win three penalty shootouts in a row and could potentially get through the entire knockout phase and the final by just penalties, which would be an insane achievement. It'd be a bit like when Portugal won the Euros and they only won one game in 90 minutes sort of thing. And can you win three penalty shootouts in a row? That's a lot. you know. But then England... Can they win two penalties just in a row? That's like statistically impossible. I think the good thing, I suppose, is I was worried about England playing Russia because I thought, A, you know, there's, there's a, the past sort of stuff about the what happened at Euro 2016 with the Russian fans and, you know, sort of worrying that that could happen again or something could be stirred up and you didn't want that. Uh, the other thing, I think Russia would probably frustrate England with their defensive organisation and that might make it difficult for... The England side to win so I actually think in a way Croatia might be the better of the two especially if Croatia are kind of spent and, and out of it basically yeah England versus Croatia for a place in the final who would have thought that before this tournament started I, I was like nope I think you could have potentially predicted Croatia to have a bit of a run but England you know where's that come from 
that's our first semi-final. Let's talk about the other, what's going to be the other semi-final. And for that, we have to talk about Brazil versus Belgium, which happened on Friday night. Before we get to that, let's talk VAR Watch. To be honest, VAR's been quite quiet in the quarterfinals. It was only really one match that came into a little bit of play, and that was Brazil versus Belgium. There was a few occasions in the box where Neymar went down. Um, one did seem like it might be a penalty, but it wasn't given, and you sort of wonder whether Neymar's play-acting sort of antics that we've seen throughout this tournament have, have, are coming back to bite him a little bit. You know, referees are automatically suspecting him of over-exaggerating and diving, as opposed to him actually being injured. So he's kind of shot himself in the foot with that one. Obviously, he he would just sell being shot in the foot, but actually, he wouldn't actually be shot in the foot. <laughs> but there was actually another foul on Jesus in the area by company, and that did look like a penalty, but it wasn't actually given. So far, has been very quiet and actually hasn't got itself involved even when it could. So, quite an interesting one. But yeah, the VAR debate is going to go on until the cows come home. But the thing that's very clear about this World Cup is how much better VAR has, has been than on previous occasions. And it feels like now we're getting to a point where it could actually be rolled out widely in world football. So like in the Prem the Premier League hasn't adopted it for this next season. But I would suspect the season afterwards it would because I can see uh, the issues being um, you know, sorted out. In Brazil versus Belgium on the 13th minute, there was a Chadley corner and Fernandinho headed it into his own net. 1-0 to Belgium. On the 31st minute, a brilliant strong run by Lukaku. He played it wide to De Bruyne and a low hard shot found the left corner to make it 2-0 to Belgium in control at the half hour. On the 76th minute, as the Coutinho ball in from the left, it was headed in by Augusto and it made it 2-1. That made it kind of an interesting finish. But it still remained Brazil 1, Belgium 2. This was a very sort of mature performance from the from the Belgians and actually showed, you know, that they've got the quality to win. They've always had the quality to win this, but I think this match was a case of Martinez's very sort of good tactics when things are going wrong and the way he adjusted the team in this match is it has to be applauded. So what he did he saw what happened with Belgium-Japan, so instead of keeping Chadley and Fellaini on the bench, he started with them, and he also, he played Lukaku, like a, a left sort of forward, De Bruyne as a centre forward, and Hazard on the other side, and it ended up working really, really well, and De Bruyne in that further forward position actually caused a hell of a lot of problems for, for the Brazilians, and he was probably the man of the match, in fairness, uh, but Lukaku had a really good game as well. And I think um, it might give Jose Mourinho a few things to think about. Admitting that something's wrong and changing it is, is, and actually having it work is a pretty like monumental thing in the World Cup. I think it's disappointing for Brazil. They did actually look like they were potentially going to get back into it at the end, but it took them a bit too long, really, to get back into it. Neymar has been sort of... If he hadn't played up the injuries so much in his previous games, he probably would have got a penalty tonight, and that would have... You know, that could have changed the game quite dramatically. But I think full credit to Belgium from learning from their mistakes in that Japan match. I, I, I kind of wrote them off because of how bad they were in that match. Uh, I, I didn't think they beat Brazil, but in fairness, you know, 
they really improved and this is when you look at it this is Belgium's like biggest win at a World Cup I mean they haven't I don't think they've even got the semi-finals before and you know beating Brazil at a World Cup is massive for anybody it's actually like if you look at the last couple of World Cups like the people who beat Brazil are either in the final or have won it so in 2014 Germany beat them and obviously they won it in 2010 Holland beat uh, Brazil and they got to the final in 2006, France beat Brazil, and they got to the final. In, in, in 1998, France beat Brazil in the final, and obviously won it. So you've got a really good record there of uh, teams that have actually beat them and got to the final. So it is in Belgium's favour to do that. Um, but they are going to be against a very strong side, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, I really like the changes that Martinez was playing, and... You know, it's, it's between him and Southgate were for manager of the tournament for me uh, at this stage of the game. So, let's get on to our final uh, quarter-final, Uruguay versus France. This took place on Friday afternoon, or Friday evening if you're in Russia. So the first goal was a free kick that was taken by Griezmann. It went onto the head of Varane to make it 1-0 to France. In the second half, uh, Griezmann shot from long range and Muslera made a bit of a blunder, um, tried to parry it away, ended up putting it in his own net to make it 2-0 for France. Feel very sorry for Muslera uh, for that mistake. And that's how it ended, um, Uruguay 0, France 2. So France are through to the next round and they kept a clean sheet, which should uh, give them some hope. But there was a few Uruguay chances. Uh, Loris had a decent game to keep him out. They really missed Cavani though, um, you know, going forward and it was a sh such a shame that he got injured because this would have, I reckon this would have been so much closer. I don't only really saw the highlights of this, but it wasn't so Mbappe heavy as I thought it might be. Griezmann obviously had a very pivotal role in the match. Muslera is quite unlucky, you know, he's had, he's had a very, he's had a decent tournament really, but mainly that's because of his amazing defence. It was a harsh thing for him to happen when he was called into action to completely stuff it up. But that's, that's unfortunate for him. And, you know, Uruguay, I think they have established themselves as the second best uh, South American international team now. Because I think, you know, it's quite clear that they're better than Argentina as a unit, at least. Um, you know, much better at the back. They've got the, the forward uh, threat in Suarez and Cavani. It's quite good that Suarez hasn't gotten the headlines for the wrong reasons at this tournament, which is... You know, I think he could have made a bit more of an impact in terms of his goals, but I mean, he scored a few. But it's nice that there's no like him biting somebody or doing a handball on the line or any kind of that shenanigans. And you know, it is a sense now that all our South American teams are out of the, the tournament and we've just got European teams. It's basically what the Euros are going to look like in two years' time. Um, the European dominance continues. You know, Brazil were the last South American side to win a uh, World Cup, and that will they will get to 20 years of hurt by the time Qatar rolls around in 2022. But we had this European dominance, you know, Germany last time, uh, Spain before that, uh, Italy before that, and now we're going to get another European side that wins it. Also, what's quite interesting is the only teams that are left are teams that have either won it once or have never won the World Cup. So we could get a really interesting sort of tie for, it could be France versus England for in the final for a second World Cup. Or it could be Belgium versus Croatia for a very first World Cup. We could, you know, we could get, we could get a final when there's, 
both teams have never won it. So that would be pretty huge, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, like I say, that's our fixtures. So on Tuesday at 7pm, Belgium, France will play Belgium. And on Wednesday at 7pm, Croatia will play England. And then the losers of those games will face each other on Saturday at 3pm in the third place playoff. Which I know people like write off, but I find it quite a fun game. So it's, it's kind of worth to watch it anyway. You never know. It can be one of these five goal thrillers as well. You can get a lot of goals. You know, teams will sort of experiment with the lineups. It's a bit more free than some of the other games. On Sunday at 4 p.m., next Sunday, well, World Cup final. It's exciting. It's probably more exciting than it's ever been because there's the potential that England could be in a World Cup final, which would be huge no matter what happens. Whether England won that or lost it, it would be a huge, monumentous thing. So we'll be back on Thursday for the... Uh, semi-final recap and then we'll be back on Sunday or possibly probably it could be Monday at this point because my Sunday is getting very very busy and turning around podcasts isn't always the quickest thing to do so it could be Monday but we will have a recap of the World Cup final and our awards for the tournament as a whole and what I'd like you to do if you can please get in touch on Twitter at 52 years World Cup and I want your team of the tournament it can be so far. Uh, who you think, you know, you can choose the formation you want, that's fine. Uh, but 11 players who you think deserve to be in the team of the tournament. So thank you for listening today. Obviously, remember to follow me on Twitter at 52 Years World Cup. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash 52 Years World Cup. Give us a uh, subscribe on iTunes. Just search 52 Years World Cup. And we're just one week away. From it coming home. Goodbye. I think it's bad news for the English game. We're not creative enough. We're not positive enough. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming. Football's coming home. We'll go on getting back. It's on getting back. It's on getting back. It's on getting back. It's coming. Football's coming home. It's coming. So sure that England's gonna throw it away, gonna blow it away, but I know they can play, cause I remember peanuts on the shirts, jewels remain still gleaming, 30 years of hurts, never stop me dreaming. So many jokes, so
It's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home.